Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. Let's start off by thanking our Patreon contributors. They went to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene and subscribed there, where now they have access to all of our bonus content that we post. This week, we had Lindsay, Caitlin, Hillary, Sugar Ray, Kayla, Jasmine, Amy, Natasha, Chris, Aaron, Sarah, Angelique, Heather, Abigail, Leah, Lainey, Sherry, Nicole, Ellen, Reese, Jade, Emily, Camila, Karen, Elizabeth, Stephanie, Crystal, Natalie, Elizabeth, something called Eat Me Boys, Catherine, Dion, and Katie. Thanks, guys. Thank you all so much. All right, Des, this is part two of The Lonely Hearts Killers. Actually, it's movie versus reality. Honeymoon Killers. The Honeymoon Killers. The movie's called The Honeymoon Killers. I but, like The Honeymoon Killers. <laughs> well, that's what I titled the episode. Right. Uh, so No, but I meant, like, I think that that title, like, name for them is kind of uh, cool. I mean, sounding. Yeah. The Honeymoon Killers. No, I like, I li- it's a good <laughs> I mean, title. both of them, yeah. So this book that I read for one of my main sources is called The Lonely Hearts Killers, The Bloody Passions of Martha Beck and Raymond Fernandez. It's by Tobin T. Buck. And I also used a lot of newspaper articles as well as real transcripts from the trial. So let's get started. Where we last left off last week is Martha Beck was so in love with Raymond Fernandez that she was willing to abandon her two young kids at a Salvation Army. Yeah. So we were going back in time to both of their life stories last week. Yes. That's where we were in Martha Beck's story. Despite Martha's devotion to Raymond and his promises to marry her, he still continued writing to women from the Lonely Hearts Club. Raymond explained that he was only trying to scam them out of their money and it didn't mean anything else. And Martha was like, aww. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Martha followed Raymond around the country as he wooed women he'd met through the Lonely Hearts Club. He even got married to one of them, a woman named Esther Hen in Pennsylvania. They were married on February 28th, 1948. According to Martha, one night her and Raymond and Esther played strip poker together. The deal was that whoever won got to fuck Raymond that night. Oh, my God. Now, (laughs) let me remind you, in case you forgot, that Martha and Raymond told all of these women that he picked up that they were siblings. This is sick. So I don't know how that works. (laughs) Esther. (laughs) First of all, it's not enough that Martha Beck was following Raymond around like a puppy dog all over the place and going on like dates with these women like martha would tag along she was living with them oh my god i mean this is the original flowers in the ad (laughs) (laughs) and uh so martha said that she won this game that night so she presumably fucked raymond jesus and i guess esther just thought oh he's gonna go fuck his sister you win some you lose (laughs) (laughs) you know fair is fair 
Martha's jealousy over Raymond's endless strings of affairs raged, and she would often take extreme measures to get to Raymond to get Raymond to redirect his energy onto her. There were her threats of suicide and her failed attempts. But she also tried to sabotage his new marriage to Esther by sending her an anonymous letter. In the letter, she said that Raymond was selling their apartment in New York without her knowledge. The letter also mentioned a guy named Oscar a lot. Martha would later explain that Oscar was the name that she had given Raymond's dick. Oh, now, do you want to know why she gave his dick? Because it was a grouch? <laughs> no. I guess that's a little early. It's even better. Okay. So during Martha's trial, she would tell the court why oh she named his dick Oscar. She said, quote, each spring an Academy Award is presented in Hollywood to the best performer <laughs> and the best supporting role. Oh, God. <laughs> In my estimation, Mr. Fernandez was the best performer in my private life and the part of his body with the best supporting role, which was his penis, I named Oscar. Oh, my God. <laughs> she's, she's a piece of work. <laughs> <laughs> right? Have you ever had a guy who was like, I have a nickname for my dick? No. Have you? Once in high school. I mean, that makes sense. Right. High school. But yeah. no, I, I would probably be like not into that. And I don't know if he was fully serious, but he was like, this is my dick's nickname. What was it? Denver. <laughs> <laughs> Denver. It's mile high, baby. <laughs> I don't know why. It's kind of like a rugged name. But that's really bizarre. I'm sorry. It's very bizarre. I, I haven't known a guy since that nicknamed his dick. I would be curious about the statistics on that. <laughs> like, is it a young thing? Do people not do that? I can't imagine meeting a man like who's 40 or, with like a nickname for his dick or right, something. Or a woman who nicknamed their boyfriend's dick, maybe. Oh, I don't I've know. never done that. No. Martha also described some of her sex life during her trial. She explained that she had never been able to achieve orgasm during sex before, so she went to a doctor who suggested her and Raymond do oral. Oof. Raymond <laughs> was the first person to ever make her come. Now, at the time, this is 1948. I think a lot of women lost their minds the first time they came during this period. Yes. And if the man was bad, they didn't care, like... I've heard other people like leave their husbands for like a man who made them come during this period. Well, it's not that people weren't having oral sex then. It's that I think specifically like a woman receiving oral sex was more taboo. Oh, totally. And this, I guess Martha going to a doctor, it's like, oh, it's prescribed by a doctor yeah. to make me come. And Eat my to- pussy, RX. <laughs> But honestly, like, yeah, eat my pussy RX. Yeah. That's like... If that's your favorite thing. That can be helpful. That can yeah. alleviate stress. Well, it could also make you feel um, more desired. Yeah. I think. Like yeah. he's really into you. That's hot too. Right. And I think if people were doing oral sex, they definitely weren't talking about it. No. I mean, it definitely... It's still to this day, we've heard like people think it's emasculating... To go down on a woman. Like, there's still that kind of point of view hanging around. Yeah. And it was probably even more prevalent back then. Right. I mean, it's really absurd. Um, 
And especially in America, because we're such a puritanical country. Yeah. Wear your wife like a feed bag. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> what could be more Midwest? <laughs> After less than a month of marriage, Esther Hen left Raymond Fernandez. She had gotten wind that he was still married to his first wife in Spain, who he who he left behind with four children a few years prior. Oh. So he never divorced that woman. Wait, who was didn't he have a wife who died too? He was going to marry her. Oh, okay. That was the one he was going to marry. Okay. We're going to talk about her next. Okay. Because Esther also heard about the sudden death of his next wife, Jane Wilson. So I guess, yeah, they did get married, but it was like an illegal marriage. Okay. Because he was being a bigamist. Okay. So Esther hears about that he's still married legally to this woman in Spain. Then she heard about his next wife, Jane Wilson, who died of the mysterious mysterious stomach ailment. And on top of all of that, Raymond, she said, was prone to fits of rage that scared her. This is a quote from Esther. I was afraid of him. He continually carried on like a raving maniac and kept yelling and screaming at me. He wanted my insurance policy and money, but I refused to turn them over to him. She also said that she didn't believe him when he said that Martha was his sister. <laughs> what? Clued her in there. <laughs> <laughs> she said, quote, they acted too lovingly to be relatives. When I saw him raw-dogging his sister <laughs> over my living room sofa, I started having suspicions. <laughs> That's when I started asking questions. Uh And she said she was pretty sure that both of them had been dosing her with sleeping pills. Ooh, that's scary. Yeah. And that was something that they did. They did, like Martha would get pills from, because she worked in hospitals. Right. She'd get barbiturates and she would just like dose these women. And what was the point of their dosing? Just to knock them out? To manipulate them and knock them out and steal shit from them. Martha had also pawned the diamond engagement ring that Raymond had given to her just 10 days after they had gotten married. To Esther. Yes. Esther's engagement ring. Oh, my God. So Martha stole it. I don't know if maybe she stole it off of her when she was sleeping. Yeah. I have no idea. But Esther noticed that the ring, as well as her watch, were missing. And she she noticed this when she... like she, I don't know. She also like discovered a receipt from a pawn shop in her own car and was like, hey. Wait, she's really good at putting things together. (laughs) Raymond and Martha's next victim was a woman named Myrtle Young who lived in Green Forest, Arkansas. She had been writing love letters back and forth with Raymond after they met through a Lonely Hearts Club. Myrtle owned and operated a hotel in Arkansas, and in August of 1948, she sold it for $6,000 and traveled north to Chicago to be with her new boyfriend, Raymond. At this time, he was going by Raymond C. Martin. Raymond managed to swindle $3,600 from Myrtle before their short-lived relationship ended. They didn't break up, but Raymond somehow convinced her to get on a bus heading for Little Rock, Arkansas. The bus made a stop in Springfield, Missouri. Feeling dizzy and sick, Myrtle got off the bus and stumbled around before she collapsed and was taken to a hospital. Myrtle died a week later. (gasps) Oh my gosh. Raymond said 
that Myrtle had a stomach ache when she left him in Chicago, so he gave her a solution with baking soda in it to calm her stomach. Hmm. Now, Myrtle did have a history of health problems, but her connection to Raymond and Martha raised eyebrows later. That's the real health problem. (laughs) Yeah. Like, they were like, okay, this woman who you were dating and stole money from also just happened to die. Right. And his other wife or whatever she was died of a stomach something or other too, right? Exactly. Now, Martha and Raymond both denied killing Myrtle. They said they only took her money. But Martha Beck did say, she was jealous of me. There's something, I mean, I don't know if they have a change of heart, but they're so brazen in their crimes. Like, they're not sorry at all, it seems. Like, from the, some of the quotes from Martha that you're oh, no. saying, it's like, it's crazy. They're very brazen, and they're never apologetic yeah. about any of it. Myrtle Young's cause of death was ruled to be a cerebral hemorrhage. <gasps> oh, After Raymond and Martha were arrested, an exhumation of Myrtle's body was ordered to test for drugs, but the exhumation never happened. Before she died at the hospital, Myrtle did say that she was drugged by a woman in Chicago. Oh. And that's where they had met her at. This woman in question was believed to have been Martha. Now, this wasn't a far-fetched conclusion considering that Martha claimed to have drugged Delphine Downing before she was shot in her home. That was, we talked about her last week. Right. She was the woman in Michigan. Martha also stated that she had stolen phenobarbital from a hospital in Chicago. By the end of the summer of 1948, Martha Beck learned that Raymond had gotten her pregnant. (gasps) During this time, Raymond was in the process of wooing another woman named Irene De La Pointe. Martha was suspicious that Raymond was after more than just this woman's money. So she decided to write a letter to Irene stating that Raymond was after her money and that she wasn't even his sister. She was his lover. Raymond and Martha got into a fight about this, and Martha went down to South Carolina to stay with her sister. By November of that year, Raymond convinced Martha to induce a miscarriage. According to Martha, she did so by sticking a knitting needle inside of her. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she returned to New York where she resumed her relationship with Raymond. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Raymond began a whirlwind romance with another woman he met through the Lonely Hearts Club in December of 1948, 66-year-old Janet Fay. Whoa. Now, Janet was a widow who lived in Albany, New York, and it may have been a little odd that a man in his early 30s was coming on to her, but she was very flattered. Is she the oldest victim? Yes. Uh In her letters to Raymond, Janet aged herself way down. She was like, I'm 40, which obviously was much younger than she was. Raymond told her that his name was Charles Martin. On December 29th, Raymond drove with Martha to Albany to go see Janet. He, of course, as he always did, introduced Martha as his sister. Janet was head over heels for Raymond, and they planned to marry. 
On New Year's Day, 1949, Janet introduced her stepdaughter, Mary, and her husband, uh, and her husband to Raymond. This wasn't the first time Mary's stepmom had met a man through the Lonely Hearts Club. In fact, Janet had actually been scammed before by a guy okay. she, she met through the Lonely Hearts Club a year prior. Wow. After that, Raymond convinced Janet to start giving him cash. On January 3rd, Janet withdrew thousands of dollars from various banks around Albany and handed Raymond close to $4,000 in cashier's checks. Damn. She also gave him $2,000 in cash. That night, Janet, Raymond, and Martha drove to Long Island where Raymond and Martha had rented a home under the name Mr. and Mrs. Charles Martin. Janet and Raymond prepared wedding announcements to be sent out to her friends and family. The announcements contained a single word, surprise. Oh my God. Janet signed her name at the bottom of each piece of paper. At this time, Martha was in the kitchen making dinner. When they all went to bed, Martha and Janet retired to the single bed in the one-bedroom home, while Raymond went to sleep on the couch. According to statements and trial transcripts made by Raymond and Martha, here's what went down next. At around 3 or 4 a.m., Janet got up and went into the living room and knelt by the couch where Raymond was sleeping. She woke him up and started complaining to him about all the money she had given him. She said she wanted it back now. Raymond went up to the bedroom where Martha was, and he said, Martha, keep this woman quiet. <laughs> Raymond then said he was going to go to the bathroom. He said to Martha, I'm going to go to the bathroom, and you go and talk to her and bring her back to bed. Martha went down to the living room where she saw Janet Faye butt naked on the couch, <gasps> spread eagle. I'm sorry. That was unexpected. <laughs> Martha gasped and said, oh my God, what are you doing? And Janet replied that she wasn't expecting her. She was expecting Charles. Yeah. AKA Raymond. Martha said to Janet, for a woman of your age, you're the hottest bitch I've ever seen. Really? Yes. <laughs> Janet responded to this by slapping Martha. I can't believe she was spread eagle. <laughs> like, I feel like we have to spend a moment <laughs> in the middle of a fight. Her husband leaves or whatever and comes back and she thinks he's going to fuck her. Like, I guess maybe he's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom and freshen up, sweetie. And I don't know. She that's thought so funny yeah. that you would ever present yourself that way. And then the, I feel like such a prude. I'm like, you're 66 years old, Irene. You know what? I, she's getting it. She's getting it. I hope I'm like that when I'm 66. I Yeah, I mean, in spirit. But I don't know if I'm going to walk around spread, just be spreading on the sofa. Ma honestly, maybe not when Martha's staying over. Not when there's a guest, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's a small house they were in. Yeah. So... Martha went into the kitchen and retrieved a hammer that was on top of the icebox. Oh, no. Raymond had allegedly said to her earlier that evening, we may have to use this before the night's over. Ew. Martha stood over Janet, who was kneeling over her open suitcase, and struck her with the hammer <gasps> twice. Damn. A still alive and bleeding Janet fell to the floor where she lay moaning in pain. According to Martha, she blacked out after Janet had slapped her, and she came to standing over her body. Ugh. Then Raymond came into the room and wrapped a silk scarf around her neck and fashioned a garrote 
<gasps> with a hammer. Oh my god. He twisted it around, which strangled her yeah. until she died. While Janet's body was still warm, Martha and Raymond attempted to fit her into a trunk by bending the limbs and binding the corpse with her own clothing. <sighs> but the body didn't fit into the trunk that was in the house, so they stashed her body in a closet while they ran, ran errands during the day. They went to banks in both Queens and Manhattan, but neither of the banks would cash the checks that Janet had given to Raymond, so they opened a new account at a bank on Long Island where they had success. Next, they bought a large trunk big enough to store Janet's body, and they stuffed the trunk into a basement of that belonged to Raymond's sister's apartment building. Okay. So they went into Manhattan and they were like, we got to store this trunk here in your basement. Where is her house again, Janet? Janet is from Albany. Okay, so it's upstate New York. Yes. Yeah, okay. But they had all gone to this little house that Janet, I mean, that Raymond and Martha had rented on Long Island. Oh, okay, got it. Now, that location where they stashed the trunk would not be its final destination. Oh. Raymond and Martha rented another house on Long Island that had a basement. Raymond cut a large hole into the concrete with the new tools he had recently purchased and stuffed the trunk inside. Then he patched it up with fresh cement. So similar to the Delphine Downing yeah. murder. In the days following the murder of Janet Fay. Raymond sent the wedding announcements out to her friends and family. He had made a new addition to the announcements, a typed proclamation of Janet's love for Raymond that stated just how happy she was. So in these wedding announcements that he sent out, he pretended to be Janet. And put like an additional little piece of paper in there? Yeah, or oh. he fed the piece of blank piece of paper that all it said was surprise on yeah. it. Um, so here's an, some excerpts from some of the various things he sent. Okay. I am all excited and having the most wonderful time of my life. I never felt as happy as before. I soon will be Mrs. Martin, and then we will go to Florida for the winter. I am so happy and contented for Charles is so good and nice to me and also his family. They have done everything to make me feel comfortable and at home. I really do miss you all, but I am sure that my prayers have been granted to me by sending this wonderful man to me. God bless you all. <laughs> On January 11th, Janet Faye's stepdaughter Mary received a type letter that had been signed by her stepmother. Alarm bells went off. First of all, Janet didn't even know how to use a typewriter. The letter asked Mary if she would please pack up her belongings and send them to Charles's apartment. Mary immediately filed a missing persons report. Oh. Raymond and Martha confessed to murdering Janet Faye while they were in custody following their arrest for the murder of Delphine Downing and her daughter, Raynell. The press was particularly biting in their coverage of the duo, but especially towards Martha as she was a heavier woman. The papers referred to Raymond as a balding mail-order Romeo. I mean, they had some pretty choice names Damn. for him. Uh, they referred to Martha as his fat friend. Oh, my God. Sometimes she was referred to as just Fat Martha. Oh, my God. This is like real newspapers. They were like, Fat Martha. Like, it's a very dead serious article. Yeah. And then it's like, Fat Martha. Oh, my God. It sounds like New York Post or something. Yeah, yeah. The New York Daily News said Martha was a fat, 
unrepossessing double divorcee with a southern drawl and a low, dark hairline. While Raymond and Martha were being held without bail in Grand Rapids, Grand, what I say? <laughs> Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids. Authorities in both Michigan and New York deliberated over whether or not the pair would stand trial. Where? Oh, where? Yeah, because there were several locations of murders. Yes. Now, as we talked about uh, last week, they were arrested in Grand Rapids, Michigan, for the murder of Delphine Downing and her daughter, Raynell. But while they were in Michigan, they confessed to the murder of Janet Fay on on Long Island. And then the investigators went to the site and were like, oh, here's Janet Fay's body. So authorities were like, deliberating over they would be extradited to to New York or not. If extradited to New York, Raymond and Martha face the death penalty. Michigan authorities weren't opposed to sending them to New York as an outraged public demanded that they pay for their crimes in blood. Raymond said he was frightened of the electric chair but was willing to plead guilty to murder in both states. One night, Raymond sent a letter to Martha's jail cell claiming that he was still in love with her. Raymond and Martha wound up being extradited to New York, and the trial began in June of 1949. They arrived in New York very nicely dressed, Raymond in a fedora shirt and coat, and Martha in a black floor-length Persian lamb coat. Nassau County District Attorney James Gehrig employed the help of Dr. Perry Lichtenstein, who was a criminal psychiatrist, to diagnose the duo in case they tried to plead insanity. Raymond and Martha had the same lawyer and the same trial. Oh, damn. This guy named Herbert Herbert Rosenberg. I mean, typically they'd try to use them against each other. Yes. Yeah. In the opening statement, Rosenberg said that it couldn't be proven that Raymond was even in the room when Janet Fay was murdered. He then pivoted to his other client, Martha. He told the jury that she was insane and couldn't be held responsible for her actions. So the defense strategy is to be like, you can't prove that... She did it, but she's insane. Right. Yeah. Raymond didn't do it. And also, they're not being tried for Delphine Downing's murder. This is just for Janet Faye's murder. Um. It is unusual that both of them just willingly confessed almost instantly, right? Well, we're going to get into that. Okay. Rosenberg went on to chastise the district attorney for his bloodthirsty demand that his clients see the electric chair. He called James Gehrig an electric chair-minded, conviction-happy person. Yeah. During the trial, Rosenberg also asserted that Raymond and Martha's Michigan jailhouse confessions were coerced. Rosenberg sought to get their Michigan confessions thrown out, arguing his clients were sleep-deprived when they made them. So that was also a big part of the defense strategy. And that is true, that... The investigators, when they were being in, like when they were interrogating Raymond and Martha, look, I th- this is like a civil rights issue. Like they right. they they were not be they weren't they weren't fed. They were kept up for days on end. Right. This was not the we way. We know that this is not kosher or whatever. Like, yeah. You don't like, do it this way. This is not how for a reason. Right. This is not how it's supposed to be done. 
Rosenberg was allowed to question Michigan District Attorney Roger McMahon on the stand asking if he promised his clients any kind of a deal if they confessed. McMahon admitted that he told Raymond if he signed his confession statement, he would lock it in a safe and no one would ever see it. Oh, damn. Yeah, that's pretty bad, right? Rosenberg asked, isn't it true you said that if it ever saw the light of day, you would resign as district, district attorney? McMahon said yes. Now, while it is true McMahon never turned over that signed confession, a copy of the unsigned confession was turned over to the New York prosecution. So as, he had a loophole. As evidence. Yes, that was his like way of doing that. I loophole. had my fingers crossed by <laughs> I mean, basically... And Martha Beck, he said Martha Beck needed no coaxing from investigators at all. To She willingly admit all the murders, right. like, immediately. Then Rosenberg made a seemingly bizarre request. He asked McMahon to produce the signed confession that was still in the safe at the request of his client, Raymond Fernandez. Rosenberg explained his strategy, quote, I need those confessions to the Michigan killings to bolster my insanity defense. Remember, Martha is supposed to have drowned a baby girl in Michigan by holding her by her feet and ducking her head underwater. I say Martha Beck was insane and her conduct in Michigan proves it. As for Raymond, he believed that the signed confession contained evidence on how he was duped into confessing and mistreated by the investigators. The trial was delayed for a week to produce these confessions, and then it resumed again on July 5th. Rosenberg continued questioning McMahon about Raymond being beaten while in police custody. He denied that any beatings took place. Next, he quizzed McMahon about Martha's confessions. He said that Martha willingly admitted to the murder of Janet Fay, and that at the time, investigators weren't even investigating her. Like, they didn't even know she was dead. Right. She just blurted it out. Oh, and we also killed this other woman on Long Island. This went on for days with other Michigan investigators called to testify by the defense. Rosenberg grilled one detective about if he recalled Raymond saying he would do anything to keep Martha out of trouble. Raymond and Martha sat in their chairs giggling as Rosenberg continued to grill the detective. I mean, there was this one guy that Rosenberg, like... (laughs) really made an ass out of on the stand. Oh, shit. So his clients, Raymond and Martha, are like laughing their fucking asses off. I mean, it seems like they got a pretty good attorney. Uh, considering the circumstances, yeah. 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 I, like I, he really is doing everything he can. He is. He's definitely seems like a pretty good defense attorney. Um, because I don't doubt that this police misconduct happened. Right. Whether or not you... They're still guilty. Yeah, like I like I still think they did it, you know, like they did it, but... But go through the right channels, because then it could fuck everything up. Right. Yeah. So the Daily News said, quote, Fernandez shook with laughter. His beefy paramour coyly hid her smirks with a handkerchief. Oh, my God. At one point, Martha cried out that a witness was lying about showing her evidence while she was in her cell. Judge Pecora scolded Rosenberg and told him to get a hold of his client. So this is a real kind of wild trial that's going on. I wish they still had trials like this. I feel like they're so tame nowadays. No. 
This was like in the paper every single day. Right. They, there was a lot of antics, even from their attorney. Yeah. He, I mean, he would like regularly dunk on these witnesses to the point where the court was laughing. Oh my God. Like even just the people watching were right. like, they couldn't help but laugh. Tobin Buck said in his book that the trial turned into a reality show when Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck took the stand. Oh boy. Giving the courtroom and the reporters lots of juicy statements. Now, most the most juiciest statements were not printed in the newspaper, Ugh. but we have trial transcripts of what they said, and they're pretty juicy. And I listened to another podcast on this case, and they did not mention any of these. Okay. So we got the juicy details. You know what? But on the Hollywood crime scene, we want you to know this stuff. <laughs> Raymond testified about his sex life with Martha. He described how he gave Martha her first orgasm. He said to the court, quote, well, I got down in between her legs as we call it her vagina. <laughs> and, I <laughs> and I put my tongue to it. She enjoyed it. And that was all to it. I can't even imagine how exciting it was to be in the courtroom for this testimony. <laughs> The, the whole chamber must have been like, <gasps> like gasping. That's not even the worst of it uh, or the best of it, I yeah. should say. Then he talked about how him and Martha liked to 69. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if they had the term 69 back then. Right. What did he call it? Well, this he described it okay. in detail. Nice. <laughs> he said, quote, it was while I was down at her vagina, she was down at my parts, manly parts, as we say. Rosenberg asked his client to elaborate. Honestly, that is... Rosenberg's like, keep going. That's <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm thinking. Like, how much more do you want him to elaborate? And did she stick a finger? I'm sorry, your honor. <laughs> Order in the court. <laughs> relevance. <laughs> yeah, what is the relevance? <laughs> So Raymond continued, and he elaborated, just as his lawyer had asked. Raymond said, quote, I got down between her legs, as we say, to her vagina. He keeps saying, Why as does we, we say it? Well, no one says it that <laughs> vagina as if it's slang. Right. As we say, beaver. Or like, it's like, it's not slang, as we say. Oh, my God. I got down between her legs, as we say, to her vagina, using my tongue, and she used her mouth to my penis. The courtroom gasped. They were like, I'm sure there were people passing out. Yeah. The, there w women were like, why doesn't my husband do that to me? I bet there were some conversations that yeah. night. Yeah. I, I bet Ethel was having a conversation with, you know, uh, Dick, yeah. her husband. Yeah. When they got home that night, like, did you hear what he said? It was awkward. He, he, <laughs> he, he kills people, but at least he goes down on his wife. Right. Rosenberg asked Raymond if Martha said she could never leave him because he made her come, and he said, oh, yeah, many times. <laughs> he got, he, he's loving it. Oh, well, it, Raymond was smiling during this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure he was probably eyeing some of the women in the court going, ladies. Right. I mean, it's on the record now that he's good at oral. Right. Basically. 
I mean, that's something you want on the record. I think. That's a good... Uh, Look, he's going to die, probably, in the <laughs> electric chair. Might as well go out with one last hurrah. I agree. Now, like I said before, the papers obviously did not print this part of Raymond's testimony, but Rosenberg's defense strategy was to show that Martha, whose only other sexual experiences were molestation as a kid and assault as an adult, was so insane for Raymond as he was the only one to make her come. This is the wildest defense I've ever heard. That's the defense. Yeah. Is that... She, she was do anything for him. She came so hard, she would kill people. Yeah. Raymond testified that Martha had walked in on him and Janet Faye 69ing before, they, before she killed her. The 66-year-old. Yes. I love her. <laughs> So he, Raymond said, yeah, Martha walked in on me and Janet 69ing, and that made Martha really mad. Well, now it explains why she was spread eagle. No, that this was a separate time. No, but I'm saying she's like, eat my pussy again. <laughs> That's why she was ready for it. You know, this woman's 66. She might not have ever had her pussy eaten. No, she was probably like, this is heaven. Have I died already? Like, Right. Yeah. So... On the night of the murder, Raymond said that Janet was splayed out on the couch naked, waiting for Raymond to get back from the bathroom. Martha saw this and was like triggered. Right. And became enraged and overcome with jealousy, which is why she murdered her with a hammer. When Martha took the stand, hundreds of women crowded into the courtroom to watch her testimony. They probably heard that there was some juicy stuff being spilled. Oh my God. This was the, the trial to be at. And Martha is even more brazen. Well, I think she was playing... I don't know. She kind of was playing coy, but she okay. did spill juicy stuff. Okay. Martha... I guess, you know what? She wasn't coy because we get a lot of Martha's early life information from her testimony. Okay. And she told all the awful stories from her childhood, stories about being molested by her brother, about her cruel and overbearing mother... She continued describing all the other horrific events in her life that were essential to boosting Rosenberg's insanity defense. Yeah. Martha described being interrogated by Detective Clarence Randall and that he tried to ply her with fried chicken. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I he, confess. <laughs> I mean, look, if somebody tried to ply me with fried chicken, I would be insulted, but I would also want the fried chicken. Yes. I mean, it's a novel approach. It's kind of like on 90 Day Fiance when Michael tries to apologize to Angela by giving her a cake. Yeah. And she says to him, I will not be manipulated with cake. Yes. But then she says, like, I will eat the cake. Yes. (laughs) But I will not be manipulated by it. It's a fine line. (laughs) So Martha stated that McMahon told her if she admitted to everything, she would serve her sentence in Michigan and then go free. Quote, he promised that if I cooperated, he would see that I get a light sentence. The psychiatrist for the prosecution, Dr. Perry Lichtenstein, testified that he did not believe Martha to be a sexual psychopath and detailed and that her detailed descriptions of the night of Janet Faye's murder belied her amnesia claim. Like I, yeah. he was like, I don't think she blacked out. She remembers too many details yeah. from that night. 
It was his opinion that Martha knew exactly what she was doing and that it was wrong. Martha's former neighbor, Dorothy, testified, and she said she believed Martha's suicide attempt in which she attempted to gas herself and her children when Raymond broke up with her was a, a joke. Like, it was a hoax. Oh. That Martha was basically just said that. Yeah. She said it was all for show, and she doubted whether or not she had turned the gas on at all. As the trial went on, the demeanors of both Martha and Ray went from jovial to worried and resigned. Rosenberg's closing statement was an impassioned plea to not send his clients to their deaths. I think that's all he had left was to basically sort of be like, okay, maybe they did it. Right. But please don't set like he he's a very strong like this this attorney was very anti death penalty. Okay, so it yeah. was a very powerful speech that he gave about right. the death penalty. Uh but in the end both were found guilty and sentenced to the to death by electric chair. Now, again, because this is Hollywood crime scene, we do have their last meals. <gasps> oh, Martha Beck's last meal was fried chicken. She got the fried chicken. She got the fried chicken. It was fried chicken with a side of French fries and a dinner salad. Ooh. Very 50s. Yeah. Raymond's last meal was an omelet with onions in it, a side of sliced tomatoes, and almond ice cream. Disgusting. That sounds like a diet. (laughs) Dude, uh, it's like, I'll have a scoop of cottage cheese. (laughs) And a a turkey patty. Yeah, that's awful. What's almond ice cream? Well, that sounds good. That sounds good if it's like real ice cream. Yeah. I've never heard of that flavor, though. Whenever I see an option like on a menu that's literally a side of sliced tomatoes, I want to vomit. Because you know it's going to be bad tomatoes. I know what those tomatoes look like. They're mealy. They're barely red. They're they're like <laughs> pale red and mealy, and like they belong on a cheeseburger. I'm surprised Martha didn't get a dessert. She didn't want dessert. I think she was full. Yeah, she was satiated. She <laughs> she was fucking satiated with that fried chicken and French fries and dinner salad. I'm not wasting any room on a salad. I don't think I'm getting a salad my last meal. No. A- absolutely not. No. Once again, in my opinion, the best last meal is John Wayne Gacy's. Was that and he had strawberries? Well, right. Yeah, that was the one off the wall thing. He had fried chicken, fried shrimp, some kind of cake. Yeah, like strawberry shortcake, maybe or chocolate cake, maybe. I can't remember. Maybe it was just the strawberries. But the fact that he had both fried chicken and fried shrimp. Yeah. That's something I would do. Yeah. I want absolutely. surf and turf and I want to I want fried. a bite of each. Yeah, I want a bite. <laughs> Even if I don't eat it all, I want to taste it. Oh, I want fried shrimp so bad right now. I could eat a bucket. Oh. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> on March 8th, 1951, Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck were executed. And that is the story of the Lonely Hearts Killers. Damn. I mean, it kind of reminds me a bit with the um, double indemnity murder. Yes. Where both of them just, it's a huge trial and both of them just get executed so so quickly. Yeah. It's wild back then. It's We're seen- so used to like these long periods of death row inmates, which is good, I guess, because a lot of it's people be- have gotten out. It's better. Yeah. Uh, 
But it's weird how fast it was back then. And this was even a longer process than we have seen in a lot of these old cases because they were convicted in the summer of 1949 and then they were executed in 1951. Right. Sometimes we've seen cases where they're convicted and like a few months later, yeah. they're executed. No, it's really quick. Right. It's weird. Uh, they're so wild. I love these uh, that we get these trial transcripts. It's always exciting to see what the trial transcripts look like versus what they print in the paper in these old cases because right. the way they phrase things in the paper is so drastically different. Also, a lot of time trial transcripts can be very boring, but if the people are testifying, the defendants are testifying, you know it's going to be a little more interesting stuff there. Yeah. Uh, so it's nice that they both testified, I think. Yeah. To get that more, get more information. Right. And we got a lot of information about their early life and how they met. So yeah, but it's a, it was a very interesting book. This person who wrote it, Tobin Buck, he, it's clear a lot of research went into it. I mean, it was like a very thorough book. But do you think Martha was the murderer and all these things? I mean, I know he had the suspicious first death. I think they both were. And even if some of them were by Martha's hand, he was a willing participant. I think he was a little more, um, I'll poison them a bit. Like, she seems more hands-on. Well, she poisoned them, too. Well, yes, she did both, though. Right. Because we don't know that he ever physically... I, I oh, I guess he, he, he shot. did, he did uh, strangle Janet at the end. And he did shoot Delphine right, Downing. Right, right. Okay, forget what I said. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? It's been a long week. Week. This episode's late. Yeah. So, but no. But I think that um, he. You know, they both were. I'm they, curious more about their relationship and how it fed into each other. You know, I some there was a mention. Somebody, I think the psychiatrist said the psychiatrist for the state. He said like, oh, they're going to try and use the Foley Adu defense, right? Which. There's a case that I think where that term is like famously used. Well, there's a few and we've covered them. Right, but I want to do one. There's another one. That's That's a another mo- one? A movie versus reality. Oh, which one? It's like the Leopold and Loeb case. Oh. So where like that is like, oh, it's two people coming together and it's a perfect storm and they encourage each other. Well, yeah, because I feel like, well, obviously Raymond was already doing this kind of stuff. But Martha wasn't. No. She but was, she definitely seems like she could have accidentally killed someone in a rage or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, like she had it in her. Absolutely. Yeah. She was primed to do this. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we will post more pictures on our Instagram. We are going to record our after show for Patreon. Oh, and I wanted to give a shout out and thanks to everyone who joined us yesterday for our live show, our first live show. Yeah. We had like a ton of people. I really wasn't expecting that many people to show up. It was a great turnout. Uh, everyone was so nice and supportive. Yeah, it was really fun. Uh, yeah, I really love interacting with our listeners. Yeah, so if you want to join next week at Tuesday, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we'll be discussing um, a documentary coming out this week on the Children of God cult. Yeah. I'm excited. And that's on Spotify Green Room. Yeah, so, so download the app. It's free. Yeah. And then chat with us. 
<laughs> yeah, you can actually chat with us. There's like a whole like chat going where you can type comments in and chat with other listeners and we'll see it and respond to questions there. Or like at the end of the show, you can do like an audio chat with us. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I liked it. It went by fast. You know what it also will, will be good for is when we say some dumb bitch shit, people can correct us. I was thinking that like sometimes <laughs> I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> someone can answer our questions. Right, they can answer it well, right away. Well, they did last night because I was like, what are the modern serial? And someone was like, Israel Keys, you like, dumb oh, bitch. Yeah. I'm like, yes, thank you. Yeah. I knew. I knew that. Yeah. We knew that. Um, but, you know. But what? we forgot it. Yeah. So, so it's good to have you there. It's nice to have our smart, hot, funny listeners. Absolutely. Okay. okay great. Bye. Bye. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.